In my years in college, I remember living in Nashville, Tennessee, and enjoying the Nashville life for the most part. Uh, it was a, quite a, a, a challenge for me to kind of change my existence from growing up in a small town in Alabama to laying in a dorm room at night and looking out of my uh, top floor there in Benson Dorm on Trevecca Nazarene University's campus, looking out over the downtown scene at night. Uh, it was very different for me to, to go to sleep. I had heard trains in the distance as a kid growing up. That was wasn't a big deal. But to have a train that went right behind the dorm every night multiple times was a new existence for me. Hearing sirens off in the distance, horns blaring off in the distance, and of course the lights of downtown off in the distance again, a very different existence than what I was used to. It was kind of getting accustomed to a new normal. One of the things that I learned about Nashville was as much as we had things to do out in the middle of nowhere, we had our own kind of repertoire of fun stuff to get into, Nashville brought on its own level of new and fun things to get into, uh, stuff I had never really experienced much. I mean, I had been in events or, or had things that we've been a part of that were in metropolitan areas, but it wasn't like my existence. And one of the things that my friends enjoyed doing from time to time, just to see if it would make any difference, was whenever they would go to a restaurant, they would put in different, like, funny names for whoever they might be. You know, like they would present some name. If you're ever at maybe a restaurant like Chick-fil-A or somewhere, and they'll say, what name can I put on this? It's always fun to put some random name on it. Uh, they also had fun signing different things on a credit card. You know, a little machine that we're supposed to sign. Sometimes they would draw pictures or fake names or whatever, and just just kind of making jokes. Well, it started getting a little bit more fun when they would go to a restaurant and they started thinking like, whose name could I put down that would get me bumped up in the list to get a meal quicker? So you're in Nashville, Tennessee, and so they would walk up and say, Frist party of two. Just don't look at them. Look at them just very seriously. Frist party of two. If you know anything about the Frist family, kind of a big deal in Nashville, Tennessee. Sometimes they would say people would look up at them and be like, hmm, they would recognize that name and not really be sure how to handle it. If they were feeling real daunting, and this was a little bit more of a difficult one because I think this story got played out a little bit more, they'd walk up and say, Vanderbilt party of three. You say those sorts of names, people have name recognition, right? Like they understand a name and they would try to play the game so that people would understand the name and maybe get them moved up in the list, maybe get them to a seat a little bit sooner, right? Well, this morning we're going to talk about a, a kind of a list of names and, and it's the final person in that name. But it's a, it's a set of names that have been said time and time again throughout the Old Testament. A set of names that, that people use to describe their God and their people and who they are. As a matter of fact, we'll talk about the last one in this three-name story. Because, you see, we spent a little bit of time a couple of weeks ago talking about Abraham. And if you remember in the last week or so, we talked a bit about Isaac's story. So if you remember, as the phrase goes, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This morning, we talk about Jacob. I'd invite you this morning to turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 28. It's a story that will not stand for. There's a pretty extensive amount of reading to do this morning, and I'll read just a little bit, and then we'll uh, talk for just a moment to kind of catch you up to speed about where we are, and then we'll move forward from there. But when you read the story, there's many times in the Old Testament you hear the phrase used, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or is this the, the land of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Like you hear those names mentioned time and time again, and it's really to denote a certain group of people. It's to denote a storyline that was going on throughout the Old Testament. It's kind of a, an assimilation of, of this is who we are. And so we jump into this in Genesis 28, and this is the first thing that we read. 
Jacob left, verse 10 by the way, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Now, the reason Jacob left and was setting out for Haran is because he was sent on a mission to go find a wife. Let me go back again and reference a couple of days in my college uh, existence. You see, on the Trevecca's campus where I went to school, there, were one, there was one large boys' dorm named Benson, Benson Dorm. That's where I stayed for all four years. The main reason I stayed there for all four years is because my junior year, when it came time to sign up for the apartments, you were eligible for apartments in your junior and senior year. And so our junior year, my roommate and I were in our room typing papers, and we heard an underclassman running down the hallway talking about what dorm room he had, he had got for the next year. And I look over at Jeff, and he looks over at me, and he goes, oh, no. I said, buddy, we got to get up there. Like, we were supposed to have signed up for our apartment already. So we go up there, and we ask him. We're like, hey, you know, we showed up kind of late. Are there any apartments left? And they're like, well, we got one room in over here and one room over there, but if y'all want to be roommates, we got nothing for you. It's like, dadgummit, we're going to end up being back in the dorm our junior year. So... Just sign us up for the same room we're in. We like it. It's got easy access. I had a canoe, and I put it inside my dorm, and I had a window that I could just put the canoe right inside the dorm. And so I said, hey, give me that room again. That works out well for me. So we went back, and about 365 days later, my roommate and I are sitting in the dorm again, and again, heard somebody running down the hallway talking about what apartment they got. And I look over at Jeff, and he looks over at me, and he goes, we did it again. So I lived in the dorm all four years of my college existence. No apartment life for me in that, that regard. But on the campus, there was one boy dorm, but then there were three girl dorms. And I'm separated up enough from this far enough now that I can speak openly. And if you were a part of Trevecca Nazarene University and you attended these dorms, I'm sorry if this infuriates you, but it is just the reality of living on Trevecca's campus. It was known very early on. Georgia, Tennessee, and Johnson dorms. Georgia and Tennessee dorms are where you go for a wife. Johnson is where you go for fun. Some of you know, oh yes, Johnson dorm was the one where all the girls that were out, you know, like, you want to go have fun and laugh and goof off and all those sorts of things, Johnson is your dorm. But if you want to get married, you should probably go to the Georgia or Tennessee dorm. Now, some of you I know probably had friends if you ever went to that college that were in Johnson dorm, and I'm sure there will be someone today because of the Nazarene connections that will walk up and be frustrated with me and kind of shake their head at me because they grew up in Johnson dorm. I'm sorry for you, it's just the way things worked out, all right? Now, I have also happen to say this of, of great clarity because, Stephanie, what dorm did you grow up in? Georgia. Georgia, exactly, because that's where you go to find a wife. The reason I bring that up is because Jacob was sent away because he was not to marry the people he was living around. He was sent away to go find a wife. And that's the story that's going on. You don't find a wife from here. You need to go away to this other. You need to go over here for Haran. That's where you need to go to find a wife. And so that's what we're finding him in the story. Continuing on in verse 11, we read the bulk of, uh, of this part of our story anyway. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're getting some of that now. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. 
and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Is, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You read this story and there is this kind of this moment very similar to his grandfather where Jacob seems to be the one that God's blessing is is falling on, that, that God is going to continue to bless. If you remember, God promised his grandfather Abraham that there would be a great uh, nation uh, underneath him, that he would grow and have children and all those, and that blessing just continues to take place. That's where the story of Isaac came in, and now the story of Jacob comes in. God continues to, to say, these are the people, this is you, this is what I'm going to do for you. And as we read the story and it continues on, there's a next section where Jacob has been sent again, if you remember, he's been sent to travel to go find a wife. As a matter of fact, when he gets to where he's going to to where the direction he's heading, he ends up stopping for something to drink, and he's at a well where people are bringing up their sheep. And they've got a big stone to roll away, as the Bible says, and they're waiting to roll the big stone away until all of the herds are there. And, and they, he encounters a couple of individuals that he just greets them and calls them brothers. And as, as that conversation goes back and forth, it says that a, a young lady by the name of Rebecca walks up. And when Rebecca walks up, something happened inside that young man. Any of you believe in love at first sight? This was your chance. Gentlemen, this is your, look at your wife and say, of course, of course. There you go. This will not be the only time, by the way, fellas. I'm going to help you out a good bit this morning. Of course I believe in love at first sight. I'm going to tell you, 23 years ago, I'm not sure that I, I completely believe in, in love and like knowing all at first sight, but I can tell you this. When I was sitting in a, in a science building on Trevecca Nazarene University's campus, showing up to a classroom 10 to 15 minutes early, which if you know me means that the Lord was in this because I don't show up to class 15 minutes early, okay? I remember sitting in that, in that classroom, it was in a lab in the science building, and I can remember sitting there and one of the lab uh, assistants was in. She's a, a lady who now goes to church in Memphis. I got to go to church with her for a little while uh, later on in years, but she was the lab assistant. And while she was there, a young lady walks in with very, very short blonde hair. Uh, and when she walked in, she said something to the assistant and walks back out the door. And about the time she cleared the door and was far enough away, I wasn't sure she was going to hear. I said, Hey, Jennifer, who was that? Like, I need to know who that was. And, and, uh, and Miss Hopper at that point said, you know, I believe her name is Stacy. And that began a trend of me chasing a lady that I thought her name was Stacy. Thankfully, I found out later on her name was Stephanie. It took me a little while to figure that out. I almost yelled her name one time because I was trying to find her, trying to catch up to her at one time. I'm just saying, I knew when I saw Miss Stephanie, I'm not saying it was love at first sight, but it was absolute intrigue and absolute fascination at first sight. Regardless, he sees her. And then when he sees her, he goes to her father's land. He ends up in this encounter with a guy named Laban. Laban puts him to work and gives him a job and, and, and is in the discussion with him about creating an arrangement. And, and Jacob says to Laban, he says, I'll tell you what, I'll work for you for seven years. But when I work for you for seven years, I want to marry your daughter, Rebecca. Laban says, it's a deal. 
We'll, we'll move forward with that. I think this is a great time as well, fellas. Uh, look at the, if you brought your wife to church with you this morning, look at her and say, you would be worth working seven years. They, you're, you're welcome, by the way. It's going to get better. Pay attention. There, there's another step to this. And so Jacob decides to work for seven years, and then there's this part of the story that some of us can't fathom how in the world this happened. You see, in their world, it wasn't customary to hand over in marriage a younger sister because there's a reality that in their world, Leah was an older sister and should have been handed away in marriage earlier. And so when it came time for that to be, I can just imagine here for a moment that their dad is like, he's promised to work for seven years. Surely I can hand off Leah in the next seven years. And then unfortunately, you get seven years later and she's still there and he's having to make a tough decision. And, and you read this really wild story that I know in your context makes no sense. But the story is told that Jacob wakes up after his wedding the next day and realizes that he has indeed married Leah and not Rebecca. He married the wrong girl. Now, I know that sounds crazy to you, and you're like, what in the world is going on here, right? When, when this is happening, he says back in the, um, in, in the story, like, you know, how could this, here's how this happens. Some of you are like, you know, this just makes no sense. In their world, number one, you don't just flip on light switches. That makes sense? So like as festivals and wedding parties take place, it's believed that those things take place deeper into the night. Uh, the bride is not brought home essentially until later on. And so there's a lot of thoughts that like this is something that was a, a bit of a trick played. And then the next part of the story as you move forward is that from this point forward, Jacob makes another deal with his father-in-law soon to be. Says back, I will, I'll tell you what. I still want to marry. And so he says, I'll work for another seven years. Uh, this would be the next chance for you to look back at your wife again. And fellas, you've guessed it. You would not be worth seven years. You are worth working 14. There you go. Well done. You guys are stacking up all kinds of brownie points, and I'm super, super glad for you. As the story continues on and they read about it, you read about how Jacob becomes the man that we read about time and time again. As a matter of fact, we read about him as being the one there are so many stories that continue to f of, of Jacob's wells, of Jacob's ladder that we wrote about earlier, of, of the stories of, of how Jacob became the one that was, as a matter of fact, some of you that remember biblical trivia, do you remember what his name changed to be later? Israel. You know, like, do you know the connection between him and the tribes? Like, they named the tribes of Israel after him, like after his descendants. Like, you're talking about a man who was this very like, foundational person within the, the story of the people of God. And you read this, this section of it, and, and I'll be honest with you, as I began, as I prepared to preach this message, I, I wasn't enjoying the preparation. You see, I don't like Jacob's story. I like Gideon's story. I like Moses' story better. I like some of the other stories in the Old Testament better, but as a, as a person preaching the story of Jacob, he frustrates me. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just frustrate me, his story bothers me. And it's not the portion I'm reading to you this morning, it's not this section of it. It irks me. Like, there's, there's a part of it that, that drives me nuts. And some of you are going, well, like, this is, this is a beautiful story. I mean, the man has a dream, and, and God tells him that I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And then there's this story of love and him working through that, and all that's beautiful. Well, folks, like, that's not his entire story. Like, 
Do you remember that he was a twin? What was his brother's name? Jacob came out clutching Esau's heel as we read. As their stories move forward, it says that Esau was one who spent his time as a hunter-gatherer and as a cook and would cook for his father. And his father found great joy in the wild game that he would create. It says that Jacob was one who would stay in the tent, which most times illustrates like he would stay back and, and would not be out working. Uh, and, if, and if he did, it was not chores that were typical of what men would be doing. In addition to that, as his life continued on, it says that Esau came back after being out on one of his excursions and collections. And, and as he was coming back, that he was so famished and needing food that he smelled what Jacob was cooking. And Jacob makes a deal with him. I will, I will give you food, which the way we read this story was not like we'll just join in the meal together, but like I'll essentially save your life. I'll provide for you in a major way. But in order to do that, you have to trade with me your birthright. And Esau in the story almost approaches it like, yeah, whatever. I'd rather eat now and live. Than... And so he makes this trade. And then the story goes forward a little bit further. And it says that there's a little bit of division here that you know, Isaac favored Esau a great deal, but his mother favored Jacob a great deal. And in their story, as it goes forward, there's a time when Isaac is getting old, when he's beginning to to lose his sense of his ability to see and he's losing his senses about him and the expectation is that he's about to die. And as he's about to die, he calls for Esau to give him a blessing. And folks, we've talked about blessings in the past and what it means to speak things into existence. If you remember in Genesis, what created everything? Everything. What separated the waters? What, what brought about the, 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 the fish of the sea and the animals of the land? I mean, what brought about all of those things? It was God speaking them into existence. Amen? It was God speaking those things. And so in their world, when things are spoken, they're, they're, they have life of their own and they're not able to be taken back. Some of you are studying uh, in John right now in your small group and you remember there's a statement of, of in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was that which created. That's the story that's taking place there. That, that's the, what he's trying to communicate in that. And so Jacob hears that his father is about to bless his brother Esau, but in order to bless him, old, frail, blind Isaac says, go and, and collect wild game and make for me a meal. And folks, Jacob's mom hears this and they conspire and so they dress up Jacob like Esau, and she gives him a meal to take into their old dying father. And when he gets there to pass off the meal, the old dying father says, who is this? And Jacob speaks up and says, it is Esau, your firstborn. It's, it's, it's your son. And he says, there was some discrepancy there of like, your voice doesn't sound right, but here, come closer. And so he touches his hand, and they had put animal skins on his arms so that he felt more hairy like Esau did. I mean, like, folks, we're talking about these folks had deception at the highest level. You understand? Like, they're deceiving their father, their husband, and their father in this. And like, and then when they deceive him, the, birth, the, the blessing is given to Jacob. And then Jacob escapes having that blessing spoken into his life. And Esau arrives later on with his meal to give to his father. Can you imagine for just a moment being told, 
Go get what might be one of my last meals. I love eating the meals that you cook. Go acquire wild game for me and prepare this meal. And I want to bless you on the final days or weeks or existence of his life here on this earth. And so this older brother goes out to accomplish those things. And he comes back and he brings that meal. And when he walks in, his dad says, who is that? And he goes, it's Esau, your oldest. And the father says, I just blessed Esau. And he left. You understand? Like, can you imagine the heartbreak and the anger. Folks, this is, it's one thing, and I know we don't need to get into a place of ranking sins, but you've got to admit, like, this one, this one makes your blood boil, amen? Like, this is, this is fooling a father. This is lying to brothers. Like, this is family betrayal at a horrible, horrible level. And quite frankly, that's why I don't like preaching about Jacob. I don't like it. I don't like it that he still becomes the father of a great nation. I don't like it that he begins this world in a place of jealousy and bribery and lying to his father and all those sorts of things. And it drives me nuts because there's a part of me that feels like if God is a God of justice, how does Jacob ever make it? How does Jacob ever become the one? And it frustrates me when I think about his story because, because I, I just... The human side of me, the justice side of me, just doesn't like it. Folks, one of the parts of this story, and it's probably what brought me under conviction again when preparing for this, because quite frankly, preparing for this sermon, I was unsettled for a while. I was frustrated by the story. I don't, I don't go to Jacob for a, a, a place because his, his story just, it irks me. But as I began to think through this process of like, how I feel about Jacob who deserves X, whatever X is, he just deserves it because of his decisions and his immorality and his horrible ethics and his lying and his cheating and all those sorts of things. I'm quickly, I'm quickly convicted by the Lord in a question. If I can look through Jacob's mistakes and forgive him, why can't you? Why, why can't you? If I can still use someone despite the horrible things that they've done, why can't you look past them as well? Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I'm going to be a little bit sarcastic about I'm not the one who decides anyone's eternity. Neither are you. You understand? I'm not the one who gets to decide who God uses and who God doesn't. And neither are you. And yet sometimes because we believe of a God, believe in a God of justice, and we believe in that God, amen? God absolutely represents justice. But folks, God also represents grace at a level. He recognizes, and I, I look back at some of those other characters in the Bible, folks, some of those that I don't mind preaching as much, for some reason I've preached right through David in the past. He was no saint, you know? I've, I've preached right through Moses. I'm going to tell you what, Moses had some anger issues from time to time. He got around through some things. You know what I mean? Like he, he lost his composure several times. I look back at those stories and I realize our Bible is a, is a book of stories. It is about God deciding how He will use people despite their imperfections, despite their mistakes, and despite what they've done. And so one of the things that we are called to do on this earth is be reminded that if Jacob the liar, the deceiver, and the horrible person as a young man can be used by God to do amazing things, can be given a second chance, 
then maybe we as well should be looking at each other with those same sets of lenses. I'm not saying blinders, you understand? Like, I'm not saying blinders, but we have to start making room for folks. One of the tragedies, and this is one of the things that I, I, I know that is uh, a great benefit of mine, I did not grow up in Houston County. You know what kind of a blessing that is? I love Houston County. I'm grateful that my children are growing up here, but I did not grow up here, so you have no idea who I was at 18 years old. You have no idea who I was at 24. Quite frankly, I have no idea who I was at 30. You know what I mean? You know the preacher who showed up here eight and a half years ago. That's all you know. You may have seen some pictures, you know what I mean? But like, you don't know the hooligan she married. I'm telling you. <laughs> the difficulty is sometimes we remember each other for what we knew about each other in high school, for what we knew about each other in young adult years when they made horrible mistakes. And we label those people in our minds as that. And I'm here to tell you, do not forget Jacob. Do not forget Jacob. There's one other step to move forward in this. As much as we've talked about not forgiving other people, it's quite possible that the hardest thing that you'll ever do is remember that you also are Jacob. And you know the lies and the deceit. And you will ask yourself the question, and how will God ever use a foolish person like me? How will God ever want to use a person who knows what I've done or what I've said? And those things, there's not a person in this room that escapes the reality of having things we look back at that we are horribly embarrassed by, and we, we fear the day that someone brings them up. It's a reality in, in human existence. And I need you to hear this morning that the same God who prompts us to forgive others and to recognize that He forgave Jacob is also prompting us to forgive ourselves and say that God may still be wanting to use you for incredible things if you will quit the lies or, or forget the fact that in some portion of your, li of your life you lived a life that may have been characterized by lies and deceit. God may be wanting to build a proverbial great nation through you but you have got to forget the things that you've done in the past. Because otherwise, they will be the anchor that hangs around, the millstone around your neck. They will be that forever if you allow them. And so here's my question for you this morning. What might God be trying to do through you if you will only recognize that even those who are liars and deceivers, God still used them to build great nations? I want to end this morning <clears throat> with something that is a bit comical in nature, but there's great truth in it. Something I saw online months ago, and when I saw it, I thought, you know what? What a beautiful reminder of who God is. It was a statement, and it had one of those things under that. Just read it again. So here's the statement. When God called you, He already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like... God looks at you and is like, he's an idiot, but I like him. <laughs> you know, like, She's a knucklehead, but I'm still a fan. You know, that kind of... Just because you look back at your own existence and you see stupidity or errors or frustrations or embarrassment, God called you and he already factored those things in. What a great statement. God called Jacob and he already knew him. Yeah. God, we come before you this morning thanking you for who you are and for all of your many, many blessings. God, we know that in the stories that we read in the Bible, there are some that we like and there are some sometimes that bother and irk us. We give you praise for both. God, we pray this morning that as you speak to us 
through your word and remind us of how we will treat Jacob, whether Jacob is someone that we know or the Jacob in our life is ourselves. God, we pray this morning that you would help us to learn from these stories how better to treat the Jacobs in our world. In your son's name we pray, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Daniel Metters again. I hope this morning's message has both challenged your heart or maybe given you a word of encouragement. If you feel like you would like to reach out and maybe continue this conversation in any way, please feel free to email us at ecnradioresponse at gmail.com. We hope you are well and God bless.